All right, welcome back to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton. And I got a good episode for you guys today. I podcasted with my buddy, Jeff Bigler. Um, Jeff's a guy I have known for a while, and he's worked in the space in a couple different uh, manners. And, and now he's currently a big uh, editor for, for an outdoor brand. But uh, he's chased some good deer on uh, over the years, and I've, I've kind of known uh, his pursuits. And we talk about some of that and uh, really his pursuit this year for his late season buck here in Ohio in Hill Country. And so we get into some weeds uh, of that pursuit and what he's learned. And uh, I think it'll be good for the podcast. But if you are not tuned into our YouTube channel, I have to say the last two videos have gone over really well with like our core following as far as the mobile hunter, the uh, harder core pursuit guy. And uh, basically I was cutting up clips from ATA where I had Cody DeQuisto, Andre, he Cisco in the booth and we're just talking deer. I just did one on sitting and standing and some of the pros and cons to each of those. And, and that one seemed to be really popular. And then other stories, you know, from Andre chasing bucks and the one time he gun hunted and, and sat all day and, uh, you know, Andre's just a character and so is Cody. So check those videos out on our YouTube also, congratulations uh, to Ryan W. from our Patreon. He got a Nomad Utility hoodie, and we're going to be giving another was another one away here in about 15 days. Uh, February 5th is, is the next drawing. Going to give an, another one of those hoodies away. It's a good scouting piece. It's an earth tone. Um, good hood for bow hunting, too, because it doesn't impede the vision. So we're trying to give back to those guys a little more. We'll put a little more information out on that platform. If you're interested in joining, by all means, um, we really appreciate those guys. Enter code WEXP at checkout if you're going to pick up any of those new .75s from Lone Wolf Custom Gear. Uh, I got to look at that stand. I think that's going to, I was actually t- talking to Justin today and, and we were talking about, yeah, I want to get my hands on one of those for next season. So that that's the code there. Also, big news in the works. I'm probably going to do a film launch this year for, for my buck film. I've been talking to... Um, uh, a guy locally, AJ, and uh, may do it at a brewery here locally that might be set up well to kind of like host an event. And then obviously at that event, you, we, we do some sort of free beer for especially guys coming early and showing up. So that's kind of in the works for a summertime release. And I just thought I'd start to mention that as, as something we're, we're looking at doing. We have not signed any final contracts, but we've got some dates in mind and, and, and moving along with the planning process. All right, without further ado, here's Jeff. All right, welcome to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton, and I have... Oh, a good guest lined up, a guy from here in the Buckeye State that knocked down a, a good buck the other day during muzzleloader season. And uh, I think, you know, the listeners are, are going to get a lot from this. Jeff and I know each other on a personal level. And, uh, you know, he hunts some hill country. It's kind of a mix of, of public-private, and he's got some access to some private that borders public, and that presents some, some unique circumstances. So I, I think, you know, the core listener here is going to get a lot out of this. But, uh, Jeff, I... I uh, you, you know, this is this is going to going to be a good talk, but I have a, a, a personal. Uh, oh, you had a post about six nah, about a year ago on Facebook that, that changed my my aspect on coffee. And yeah. you had said, go back to drinking coffee from a ceramic mug and tell me it doesn't taste better. And I, I, I fully admit it does. It's a thousand percent better, man. Stainless steel, as much as I like, you know, a good rambler to keep it warm all day. 
it just the taste suffers it really does it does i would i would even say that like a, a plasticky thermos uh tastes better than than the stainless uh does obviously yeah. the ceramics the peak but but uh yeah I, I i thought that was worth mentioning that you changed my opinion on how it. i consume my coffee at home well i'm glad that i'm not the only uh, crazy guy out there because for a long time i was like man nobody else feels like this but that's yeah, good and- to know i'm glad, glad i helped <laughs> yeah um Jeff, you, so I met you, oh, it probably been mm-hmm. seven, eight, almost 10 years ago. And uh, you were working yep. at a local bow shop. You set my bow up, I think for a few seasons. And mm-hmm. you told me at that point, you'd done some guiding, I think on the West coast. And mm-hmm. then now you're obviously in the space full time. And I think still side hustling uh, based on you have sent me a job or two in the last uh, year, a couple um, sure. But Jeff, just give us a little background of, of kind of how you came to be living here in Ohio and, and kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis. All right. Um, so I'm Ohio born and bred, um, lived here most of my life. I, there was a couple years stint where I had moved to California for work fresh out of college. Um, so I actually have a degree in wildlife biology. And so that's my, my schooling background. Um, and I basically got an internship working with, uh, the California Waterfowl Association for a few years and then got hired on full time, not through them directly, but basically it was a, it was an Island. It was one of their research stations for doing waterfowl research. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was pretty cool. So it was basically just a 5,000 acre privately owned Island. That was, uh, a family's getaway, a very wealthy family's getaway. Um, just the most premier waterfowl hunting you can imagine um basically if you can imagine the best laid out managed plan for whitetails and to put that in waterfowl world that's what what i was doing so guiding is a blanket statement i basically babysat a bunch of guys with more money than they knew what to do with sure um, and just told them what ducks to shoot and which ones not to um but yeah so that's kind of my background there and then uh moved back had to be you know in the, in the heart of whitetail hunting back in my home state and uh, yeah, so worked at the archery shop for a while um, and then was doing filming and editing on the side for a long time since my early teens, basically, um, and then just kind of had a passion for that and then uh, turned that into a paycheck, essentially. Um, so now I am doing the editing and filming full time, uh, mostly for um, one prominent YouTube channel and then um, when time and, and things allow, pick up a side project here and there. So yeah, yeah that's kind of up to speed with where I'm at. And I saw, I think, uh, uh, charges came out against, uh, the, the guy who poached the deer you chased you and your brother chased it. Was that two years ago? You guys chased a mega. Um, yeah, it's been, man, I can't believe it's already been, I think it's been three years now. I want to okay. say that deer was killed in 18. So yeah, my brother, um, that was actually on a farm that we've had permission to hunt since we were little kids, um, a coworker of my dad's only 40 acres. Yeah. Very... spent a lot of time there. Um, and honestly, my brother started to deer hunt it more so. And he actually stuck that deer the year before it was eventually killed and hit it low in the armpit at a steep angle. And it just missed heart. Looked like a what? kill shot uh, on video for, for the listeners. How big are we talking? When he was killed, he was rough measured at 228 to 236. Okay, yeah. So, um, so you know, people listening, this is not just, oh, this is a, a solid no. 150 plus. No, this is a mega, mega. Yeah, yeah. In fact, when my brother called me after he stuck it, we hadn't had, we had one trail camera picture of it the year before, but only like half a rack. And it looked to be about 170 class deer, you know, a giant for anybody's standard. 
but then when he he stuck it he he called me crying on the phone and i was like well, yeah whatever well he had videoed it and he sent me a screenshot and all you can see is just an absolute wall of times um, oh man you can probably put a video or a picture up of this deer i'll get you something sure uh, for the listeners but yeah, it just, it, it almost looks like a perfectly typical buck, but every tine had an inlay tine with it. So uh, just basically like a double rack, like 26 something. Like side profile, all I envision is like Edward Scissors hand type effect as far as tines is concerned. Well, the locals act, cause there's plenty of guys hunting it. They actually dubbed him Hayrake cause he looks like a Hayrake. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We called him ghosts just because we had only had sporadic pictures of him for that first year or so. But yeah, so long story short, my brother stuck him. I had already sold my buck tag for the year. I helped him try to get back on that deer that year. And then the following year, both of us were hunting it hard. I mean, we dumped countless hours and money into that deer and we're, we had him. We were right on him, man. He was almost every night we'd have his picture. Occasionally we'd get daylight and then the rut hit and he started the daylight. And then I was actually at a Walmart gearing up to drive north to hunt that deer because it's about two hours from where I live. And, um, I get a call from my buddy that actually lives up there and was hunting him too. And he's like, dude, I just seen his picture on Facebook. I'm 90% of him. And then that is what started us into researching it. The deer was posted, um, as being shot from an adjoining County, but way, way, way too far to where it had been possible. Right. It would have been the other side of the County. Exactly. And we had his picture the night before he was killed. So there was no question that that deer didn't go that far. So between that and some other investigation from my buddy, um, I contacted a warden buddy of mine that I went to college with and he looked into it and it wasn't, I think 48 hours later that he texted me a picture of him holding the rack. They had confiscated it and said, you're right. That deer wasn't killed legally. Um, mm. And anybody can, you can probably put a post up or something. Yeah. I'm sure if, if somebody's really fascinated, especially Ohio wise, like, you know, cause that's probably our core following. They uh, will yeah. have seen either a post or, or uh, and you could find it if you go looking for it, if you will. Yeah, if you, yeah, type in Coshocton County, Ohio, hay rake, and that deer will come up. So, okay, there we go. Uh, there we go. But, yeah. um, you know, you had reached out. Um, one, I, I congratulated you via seeing the, the, the pictures come through, and uh, you said, Hey, I think this might make for a cool podcast on several things. One, you know, I spend a lot of time in and around a lot of public land. Um, and probably pursue somewhat on on some public and I can kind of touch to, to hunting in and around, you know, private land, but, you know, in and around a lot of public. And then obviously, you you described your your kill scenario was something that uh, hill country listeners are really going to be interested in uh, with as far as how the thermals and how the wind was working in this specific ambush point and really you kind of were, it's essentially learning this, uh, through the pursuit this season. It seemed like you had, you had heard some stuff on some podcasts and, and really yep. kind of dissected. And even you said, uh, before we pushed record, you were out there the other day and kind of looking at trees and looking out how wind bounces mm-hmm. in and out this, this, this specific ambush point. And I think that's, uh, what we're going to kind of key in on, but Jeff, just to, sure. to paint a picture could, uh, we're not going to say location County, but like describe the general area as far as, uh, uh, you know, it's hill country, a lot mm-hmm. of public land around it. I think it's an average size farm. I don't think this is no thousand acre luscious landscape. No. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about hunting in and around there? And, and do you spend time, maybe touch on some of the stuff that we talked about oh, on the phone call last week? Sure. Okay. So um, just a quick rundown. I hunt uh, predominantly in Southeast Ohio. That's where I live. Um, it's big, big hill country down here. Um, 
and, and honestly, where I'm hunting predominantly is there's no agriculture whatsoever for, for miles. Um, I think the nearest corn to the spot I killed this year, this year was maybe four or five miles. So not terribly far, mm -hmm. um, but far enough to where I'm not utilizing it in any means as far as my tactics to kill a deer. So basically the way my property, and it's not mine, I just have a great relationship with this landowner. Um, it's 250 acres, but I'd say maybe 60 to 80 of it max is huntable. It's extremely overgrown. It's uh, like an old um, mining property, I think, that they, they coal mined on years and years ago. Okay. And it was put through like a CRP program. And then, you know, uh, early successional forest is, is dominant on the majority of it. So just, just a nasty, nasty thicket. You can't penetrate half of it. And that's why it's great. Um, because it is very, very close. And on one side, it actually borders some public ground. And then there's houses on a lot of the other side of it. So it's, it's hard to hunt for that because I have a ton of intrusion from, from both neighbors um, and from people that come off the public ground, whether it's you know, on purpose or they just don't realize that they're, they're crossing the line. Um, anyway, so it, I face a lot of challenges. And one of the hardest things about hunting it is the majority of the huntable area that's actually open enough to even get a, a bullet or an arrow through anything without sawing the forest down, it's in the lowest part of the farm. Mm. And I, I paid attention to thermals and wind, of course, much more wind direction than anything. But um, to kind of to go into what got this line of thought rolling for me was I listened to the Aquista series podcast um, that they did recently discussing thermals. And I'd read about thermals, um, you know, tried to pay attention to thermals and stuff in the past, but I was in a very uh, adolescent way, if you will. Um, I knew in the morning, my thermals are going to be going up typically and the evenings are coming down. And that was about the extent of my knowledge with it. Um, and I never really utilized that so much into my, my tactics. Um, now, looking back, I, I can see where they've played a big role in a lot of my hunts or just the stands that are just really good for whatever reason. But in this particular instance, I listened to this podcast and it really got the ball rolling in my head. And, and I got to thinking, um, one of the things they had mentioned was, you know, your thermals are going to carry with the warm air, you know, as the warm air, as heat rises, it's carrying your thermals, which is carrying your scent up typically. And they had said something that a lot of guys don't understand that, you have your morning thermals because typically as soon as day breaks, you know, you're going to get a little bit of an increase in your temperature, but they said, as long as your temperature is increasing, you can have that same thermal effect, that rising thermal, no matter the time of day. And now you think about it, it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But just again, adolescent knowledge on the subject, I never dove into it in my mind and really tried to dissect it like that. But they said that and something clicked and I immediately went to the forecast because I've been back and forth with this deer, you know, all season and it's a hard spot to hunt. I can only hunt it on perfect conditions, what I thought, and based off almost exclusively wind direction. Well, I had had noticed that when I hunted this stand in particular in the morning, it seemed like I was pretty invincible. I could have deer come from any direction for the most part and, and come through clean. You know, I, they wouldn't bust me, but evenings I would have deer pop me repeatedly from any direction it seemed like okay now and, can, can i ask a, a follow-up to to be yeah, we're, yeah. we're kind of getting into the weeds i'm gonna I'm ask a question here is this a, a location or an ambush location that you kind of discovered this season or is this something you've got some some prior years on and, and kind of 
kind of both and and you know i'll come right out i'm not gonna i'm not here to to blow smoke up uh, uh, for anyone but um i do have uh, a big bait pile established at this specific location and it originated as a mineral site it was in a part of the property that didn't spend a lot of time because it's really thick i knew it was right in the buck bedding area just from running cameras in that area shed hunting find a lot of sheds in this it's basically a small overgrown field with a pond on one end and a big steep bluff on the other, and it's surrounded by just thicket. And I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, this would be a great spot for a buck to come out of the bedding, kind of stage around in this mildly open field, and then move up into the more open timber, and then even into the public ground where a lot of big white oaks and things like that, natural browse that they're gonna feed on. Um, so I started a mineral site, started getting all the bucks on the property that I recognized at this spot, and the buck in particular that I ended up targeting and, and killing was the only camera I could get them on. And it, it's frustrating because I don't like to rely on bait piles to kill deer. It's legal in Ohio. I've done it before. I don't have a problem with it ethically by any means, but it still doesn't give you quite that reward factor as if you found that hot scrape in middle October and you hunt that first cold front and you smack the buck you're after. Sure. Like ideally that's, Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, um, do you feel so? So it sounds like this location, one, you, you said you find a bunch of sheds in it. Um, do you find in, in this hill country where I'll, do, do you have a lot of bucks that are kind of year round or do you see a decent amount of them shift fall ranges and come back? Because I have some thoughts uh, out there um, that sure. sometimes if the habitat is diverse enough, uh, some of my big woods bucks seem to be a little more homebodies. Yes, and that is why this property is such a good spot, and it is because it is so thick, and it is adjacent to some nice open ground with a lot, a lot of mass trees. I'm talking, you know, major, major white oaks, old, old oaks, mm -hmm. a lot of hickories. I know they're feeding on, and then, um, you know, green briar, you name it, uh, autumn olive. There's a ton of stuff up in there that they're eating, um, and then they there's good browse on the property that I hunt too, as well as a sporadic oak here and there. Um, so yes, I do have really good luck at getting bucks that kind of call that farm home. It seems like it's a central hub because, you know, I run cameras and I hunt the public too, as well as um, just another, another neighbor that's got a small chunk of borders that he lets me on. Um, so I know the deer are out there, but it seems like they always gravitate back into this small chunk of the farm, especially once the gun seasons hit. Okay. Honey um, holes or honey holes. I, I, my private farm, there, there is a, yes. a, a I, I have a honey hole effect there. Um, do you think having that, that public land next to you, and I know you, you, you've hunted mobile, uh, probably reaching way back. I can remember seeing you run around with, uh, some, some hawk sticks and stands and then some of the mm -hmm. XOP stuff for a couple of years now. Do you sure. feel having the public in the area is a is a win for you or, or negative, maybe, maybe talk a little bit about overall, like, yeah, maybe there's pressure, but it's also ground you can hunt. Um, maybe it helps you stack deer. I don't know. Talk to me about having public land literally right next to you. And then it's probably also mm -hmm. scattered in that area as well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone that's familiar with the Southeast Ohio region, um, it's, it's Athens County. I'm not, I'm not afraid to, to say the County that I'm in. You're braver um, we, than we I am. Have, <laughs> well, I might, I might have just, you know, peed on my foot with that one. Who knows? We'll find out. But um, there is a lot of public ground down here and some really good public ground. The challenge being that it is just giant open timber forest. I mean, for miles and miles and miles. If you look at the map where I'm hunting 
and then you just look north it's is i mean i don't know how many miles it is before you come to another opening let alone a road or anything it's just straight woods um so i think that question going back is kind of twofold it helps me in the fact that it's such a wide expanse of just wide open timber that it allows for a lot of deer maybe not density but a lot of number of deer spread out that you never know what could move in on you or you never know what hot doe is going to get pushed into there by you know a 200 incher that's four ridges over normally so that's exciting and that's cool and, and I do get a lot of new bucks that show up you know some of them stick around some of them are there for a day or two and they're gone um so I love that aspect and I love the fact that you know I know that the majority of where I'm hunting is bedding and that they're uh, feeding and spending sure. the nights and stuff on the public to where I can go up in there and kind of not pressure my area as much i know they're going to be in there if i have to go in after them i can but like i talked to you the last few seasons i've become a lot more mobile i want to get out i want to learn more about terrain and how to read it and and start uh branching out and finding some of these deer on the public and shooting them on public just more for a challenge aspect for myself um now to the negatives the biggest being it does bring a lot of people too um and the part of the farm that I hunt isn't posted very well. The landowner just doesn't have that desire to. And I've even mentioned doing it myself. And he just basically tells me I'm wasting my time because people are just going to rip them down and shoot them like they've done in the past. The signs, I mean, so I get it. So I get a lot of people. I mean, it, it, I probably have 10 different dudes on camera this year alone. Oh, wow. Just, okay. Yeah. Walking through with bow. I mean, it's so thick. You can't even climb a tree in most of it. So they're yeah. still hunting it. And, and, you know, it's, it is what it is. You know, if you got to deal with that, nobody knock on wood has really stolen much for me. I lost one camera in like seven years. So I'm blessed with that. Um, and a lot of these guys are looking at my camera when I got their picture. So oh, yeah. if, if you, somebody listening knows, you know, that you've been on my cameras or something, <laughs> thank you so much for being a good steward and not stealing them. Um, but anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of challenges involved, but I think they kind of, the good and bad, kind of level each other out really do you peak like uh let's say you're going for a morning hunt do you like drive okay. the road maybe a couple hundred yards past your your access point just to see if there's trucks parked along the public are you monitoring that uh do you look um, for out-of-state guys because i i mean out-of-state tags to me means that guy might be a little more serious than you know yeah so far i i have noticed one out-of-state truck um but most of it just mostly the local guys i do actually i've got pictures of the same guys enough i know oh that's I don't know his name, but yeah, I got his picture last year. He's cool. You know, he hunts a day or two and that's all I see him. Okay. It's whatever. I don't mind sharing the woods whatsoever. Um, it's the thieves that I have a problem with. As long as nobody's stealing my stuff. Yeah. Sit, sit in my stand if you find it. I, it's whatever. Yeah. Um, please don't for real. But <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's a challenge, but it, it, it's got a lot of reward too, just from the simple fact that you never know what's going to show up. And I have you know, an unlimited amount of ground essentially to go run around on if I need to, you know, if there's nothing on me, I can go into the public and find something. Sure. So, sure. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a lot of fun for that reason. Okay. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally, I, I've talked about this a, a good amount. Like I'm kind of drawn to that big timber style habitat because of kind of the mystique or wonder of, of sure. what is out there. Um, I think it's prettier. I think, you know, just the landscape yeah. is so cool. Um, absolutely so so uh, i'm becoming more you know okay with that's that's my game at this point or, or that's the way i want to pursue it but um so mm -hmm. getting back you had said early in the podcast kind of um you you've thought about thermals and everyone kind of knows some of the, the 
the elementary uh, aspects of it. And, and I'm guilty of this too. Um, heck, my access uh, uh, in hill country this year was wrong for about four or five, six hunts until I figured out like October 18th, like this hillside for whatever reason tends to blow south 80% of the time. And yep. I thought the deer were moving through a saddle and really, I think they were already on the same hillside. Like it's access and, and understanding where your wind's going, I think is something that I, I, I'm not mastered. Um, I listen to guys like Heath Cisco, who has spent a lot of time in these hills and, and like, mm -hmm. those are the guys that understand stuff at a much, much higher level. But speak to me a little bit, like, you know, you talked about, you, you used to hunt just wind conditions. Then you started working with thermals. Yeah. Um, yep. What, what, what do you think are, are some aha moments maybe hunting these hills for the last couple of years? Okay. So uh, one of the biggest things is, and, and you just mentioned it, like, like Heath Cisco, he's got a lot of it figured out and, and, you know, I don't know him personally, but I do know who he is and, and seen <laughs> some of his uh, deer on the wall. So that guy has uh, some things figured out. Uh, but I think what's important to understand is every little thing, and this is kind of going back to the Diaquisto podcast as well. Every little thing, whether it be a giant hillside on a steep slope or as small as a, a freshly blown down tree affects wind and it affects how wind reacts to things. And another point that they made is um, they mentioned wind having like an eddy effect, like what water does. Um, you know, guys that fish rivers or, or streams will understand this, that water current hits an object, it creates a swirling effect, an eddy, it can do a, a multitude of things that may not even be apparent looking at it, but you toss, you know, a lure in there and you watch how it floats and all of a sudden it spins, yada, yada. The wind is doing the same thing. It's very fluid. Um, and so in my particular instance, I knew that I needed a wind out of the north somewhere for my access in particular, because I'm accessing one in the property and pretty much walking dead center into the smack middle of it. Okay. And another reason why it's difficult to hunt and I had to be very selective on the days I did hunt because it's very intrusive where I'm set up. And like I talked to you earlier, I tried finding this deer on the outskirts and killing them in an area where it was more conducive for my approach and for me to get in and out clean. And I just couldn't find them. Every other buck I had on camera, I could find them except for this one deer. And so it took me to the end of the season to realize, all right, I'm not going to find this deer anywhere except for right here. He's comfortable. I don't know where he's going out of here. So I have to figure this spot out. So I started hunting it a little bit more and I noticed that on a west wind, I could hunt it from a direction standpoint. And I started to get later in the season where I had to be a little bit more ballsy in my moves. And so even though west kind of blows into an area, I think they may be betting some, I hunted it anyway. And I actually hunted it on a west wind and earlier in the bow season with my brother and passed up an awesome eight pointer. And he came directly from the east. So technically dead downwind. And I, it was a... Uh, was this a morning a, hunt? You had mentioned you, you felt like you were getting away with a lot in the morning. It wasn't, but it wasn't. It was an afternoon hunt. And I didn't realize it then, but it was on a day that was warming up all the way till dark. Yeah. It was, was it real sunny? Because I've seen that too, where yes. sunnier yep, days sunny or... Day. Or, uh, and it even depends too how a hillside may lay in like the big picture. What I mean by big picture, uh, let's say it's a hillside and you, uh, on, on your 20 acres you're hunting, but in the big picture of the, you know, couple hundred acres surrounding, uh, oh, it's a little more open hillside that it'll heat up a lot, a lot sooner. Um, 
I have a farm that, that uh, my, my family farm, I have one spot that really heats up fast just because it collects all the morning sun. There's no obstructions yep. um, versus some of my stuff in uh, uh, the public, dude, it could be shaded until almost 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, plugging that Aquisto podcast, but um, yeah, they mentioned that. And, and one of uh, the comments that they had made is that in certain stands, in order to capitalize on that thermal that they need first thing in the morning, they may set a stand 35 or 40 feet up just because that's the first part of the tree that's going to get hit by that sun, warming it up and sending your thermals up when the rest of the shaded part of the tree, cooler sure. temps, your scent still kind of going down. So I started to think a lot about this stuff and then replaying some of the hunts I had. And both my brother and I were like confused that this buck came dead from the east and walked. I mean, I, he stopped at nine yards and I could have killed him all day. Um, and decided that he, you know, he's a four-year-old and it just wasn't the one I wanted. So I passed him, but I went home thinking like, why did that work? He, he came from the, like, it shouldn't have worked. And, and we do scent control stuff, but we don't, we're not crazy about it. I've given up on that years ago. Um, so I kind of just, it was in the back of my mind bothering me why it worked, you know, it just bothered me. Um, so moving forward, I hunted it once or twice more on West winds and I started to really scent check it. And it was I mean, a pretty decent win, eight, 10 miles an hour coming from the West, yeah, that, which is starting to get up there. Yeah. Where there's a big, big hill, a big slope. Um, I mean, it may go up a couple hundred feet higher in elevation. Easy. Um, well, I started scent checking the wind and it would good, good, good. And then all of a sudden I just see it whip and blow straight at the hill, straight at the hill. I was like, why is it doing that? You know, two, three mile an hour wind. I'm used to those swirling, but a fairly stiff wind pushing 10 mile an hour i i'm normally like okay that's that's good for an iffy wind at least i know it's going to be consistent but it wasn't and i don't know it must have been a week or two later that i listened to that podcast and i started thinking okay there's some things at play here that i'm not seeing and i i went in i think i hunted it no i didn't i listened to the podcast i checked cams the buck I wanted to kill was in there that night at like 530. I used okay, to we, we got to know the time there. frame here because uh, uh, as far as in the season, like uh, what month is it? What, what, what roughly, you know, okay, time so period? it was January uh, would have been the ninth or 10th. Okay. So we've it survived. Was, the, we, 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 we've had the gun yeah. seasons here in Ohio. Uh, we, yep, are, yep. we are definitely late season hunting at this point. Yep. And, I, and as soon as gun season hits on that farm with all the exterior pressure, all my bucks go nocturnal. Almost, I'm just used to it. As soon as, if I don't have them dead by gun season, I've already just kind of like, all right, it looks like it's going to be a late season set for this guy. Um, so I knew it was going to be a challenge. Fast forward, he starts to break daylight again, last minute or two of light. Um, once or twice where I knew he was alive, he was in the area, but I didn't have the conditions I needed to go in to, to try to hunt him. And so I just stayed out. I've had really good luck as much as I'm dying inside. I want to hunt. He's on my camera. Conditions are good. I stay home um, just to keep the spot as fresh as possible. So listen to that podcast. He showed up that night on camera. I looked at the wind direction, the conditions, everything. And then I looked for the next day and they were identical. And it was a south wind, which is just the worst wind I could have. And of course, I'm depressed. You know, I, I want to hunt this year. I'm running out of time. I have a four-year-old on camera in there that's already lost both of his sides at this point. Um, so I'm like, it's crunch time. I'm stressing out. I've never killed a deer this late before. Up until now, the latest I'd ever shot a, a mature buck was, I think, uh, December 28th. So I'm already out of my element in my head. 
But I wanted to, I really, really wanted to hunt with the muzzleloader because I knew that if he stepped out anywhere in the, the semi-open brushy field that's on to the east of me, he's toast. Sure. You know? There's, the, I and, mean, and, um, you're talking to a guy who shot one with a muzzleloader. I mean, there's a little bit, uh, not that you can get away with it, but you could, you're much, you, it's a more efficient tool. Like, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. If you've gone ambo hunted, a gun is more efficient. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It gives you at a, least it, for your yardage. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I got to hunt. And then I thought about that podcast and I was like, all right, it's bottom of the ninth in my head. We got to pull out of the stops. We, 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 they're slave to their stomach. I have, you know, some, I've had an established bait pile at this spot. And so I thought about that podcast and then I looked at the weather and it showed the temperatures climbing. We actually were coming out of a little bit of a cold front and it warmed up for like a day and then it got cold again. So I looked at it and it said the temperatures were going to increase steadily all the way up until about 530 ish, almost six o'clock, which is, you know, right at the last light when you expect the deer to be coming in. And so I thought about the thermal thing. I was like, well, if my temperature's still going up, hypothetically speaking, my, my scent should be carried up too, even though it's a, it's a shitty direction, mm-hmm. I, it should work or I got a, a better chance than I thought. And so for the first time in years, I went and I hunted this spot on the worst wind from a map standpoint that you could have. I mean, it's sure. blowing directly where I expect this buck to come from. And uh, was it a sunny day? I, I believe this is right when ATA is happening. So I, I'm not familiar yes. with the weather at home. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was a fairly sunny day. It warmed up about 15 degrees from first light throughout the day. Um, and, but a steady gradual climb. And so I got in there, um, I got in there as early as I could. And it was about two o'clock or so by the time I got set up and I immediately pulled out the wind check. I'm checking and sure enough, it's blowing right where I don't want it to. Okay. But it was lifting. Okay. So I got, I sat down and I saw that lift and, and it literally was uh, above the treetops 30, 40 yards out. Plenty, plenty of time. I mean, that deer would have to be right on me before it would even have a chance of getting my scent from what. Okay. It so it's blowing pretty, it, it is, is blowing in the wrong direction, but you can just see it starting to elevate. Essentially if a deer's it's, at ground level, he's, he's probably not going to catch you or you, at least you got a really good chance. Exactly. He'd have to be almost eye level with me within 20 or 30 yards for him to catch my scent from the, from what the windicator was showing. So immediately I'm like, Holy shit, this might work. You know, mm-hmm. this is feeling good. Yeah. So how'd you feel uh, walking yeah. in there with like essentially wind going, I, I got to believe it was kind of going towards your, your, your target ambush point or potential deer bedding. Your... <laughs> yeah. I, I'll, I'll get you some content here and I should be able to get you an aerial picture. That's not going to give away. Nope, where nope, I'm, nope, dude, I'm, I'm telling with. you, man, you cannot put an aerial on, <laughs> on, on social these days. People are, people that's are true. good. That's true. Well, maybe I'll send it to you just for okay. a learning aspect, but um, yeah, it, if you can imagine this property laid out like a diamond shape, I'm entering the bottom corner, hunting in the middle, expecting them to be coming from the coming top from the corner, top. and the wind's at my back the entire walk-in. Okay. So I'm walking in, I'm depressed, I'm like, there's no way this is going to work, I'm blowing out this entire farm, I yeah. can't wait to hear this deer I'm after get shot on the next ridge by some dude hunting the public, yeah. so I'm just waiting for a gun to go off, you know, I'm blowing the bed- yeah. bedding cover out in my mind. Yeah, you almost had so, a little more to lose being that the public was there and, and potentially had some some guys in there looking for for a good one, if you will. And uh Yes, exactly. And and that's 
one of the reasons why I am so selective on hunting that property. And I'm really diligent about only going in where I feel like the conditions are optimum for me, just because I don't want to push those deer from their comfort zone into someone else's lap. Um, so yeah, walking in, I'm like, this isn't going to work. This is stupid. I have work to be done at home, yada, yada. But I get in the stand and sure enough, it's lifting. And I'm like, if it just holds out for a few more hours, this, I might be in the money. Yeah. So fast forward. Now the wind was swirling a lot too. I'd check it and it would be predominantly South and it was consistent, maybe six, eight miles an hour, something like that. Okay. Um, but it would, I'd check it and sometimes it'd hit me in the face or I could feel it, you know, switching. And it's like, it's, you know, the big hill is definitely playing a role here. It's bouncing off this hill. It's creating some kind of an eddy at times. It seemed like though from the South was much better than the West. The West was all over the place all the time. But from the South, it was very consistent. I'd say about 70% of the time, it was where it was supposed to be going and then would swirl occasionally. Fast forward to about five o'clock. I look over to the East and in the, the brushy field, I see a set of antlers, all right? And um, then I catch a set of ears behind it. And then I just see the dreaded, you know, head lift and they're working. It's a small buck and a doe. They just stood up from their bed and they're just scent checking hard. And I'm watching them, watching them. And the wind shifts that way occasionally, but nothing terrible. But they definitely picked up something. And not bad. They never flagged. They never ran. But they just slowly turned and walked yeah, back in. They knew something might have been up. And so, of course, I'm like, well, that's sweet. You know, they're probably going to go tell all the other deer where I'm at. And yada, yada, whatever they do. So I'm kind of depressed again. Well, then I hear noise from behind me. Damn near from the trail I walked in on. I look behind and. Here comes two mature does and a fawn. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's not so bad. They come in and they, they start to eat a little bit. And um, the, the, the feed that I have is, it's set up for bow hunting. So it's about 30 yards, uh, almost directly to my west. And so they're eating and I'm kind of trying not to move, but check the brushy field. And um, they eat for a little while. And then it's, I'd say probably about 5.30. So we have roughly 20 minutes left of legal light. I think that day was about 5.50, uh, maybe 5.55, something like that. All of a sudden, all three of them just lock up, all look in the same direction up the hill, um, pretty much to the north, where I expect the big boy to come from. And so I'm like, ooh, something's coming. You know, I'm getting excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not blinking. They're not moving, nothing. And then all of a sudden, they do that, that low head thing, like a hot doe when she's getting chased, that duck little head, and they spin and they scurry off. They all separate and go different ways back into the brush the way they came. And then I hear footsteps. It's, you know, it's, it's really thick where I'm at. So even though I have plenty of time left, it's getting low light to where it's kind of hard to make things out once they're 50, 60 yards in the brush. Oh, shadows. Yeah. Sh shadows play games. Yeah. I, I swear. Absolutely. And of course it's up against this big hillside too. So I don't have any, anything to silhouette them against. It's just woods. So then I see a rat coming and I immediately recognize one of the younger bucks in there. He's got a really unique rack. And so I was like, all right, this is good because he's usually the first to show up on the camera and then a minute or two behind him the bigger bigger bucks come and i have uh three bucks on that property that are, that are five plus uh, at least i think so i was like okay I, I really want one of them but there's two of them that i'm for sure gonna shoot whichever shows up first well he eats for a few minutes um it's it's crunch time it's about 5 40 5 42 something like that and then he does the same thing he whips his head around where he came from and i hear footsteps and then I see a rat come out of the brush and sure enough, it, it's the buck. And I checked the wind right before that buck came in when the does were still there. And I mean, it was blowing right over his back 
and just lifting right at that crucial point to where he wasn't catching me, nor were the yeah. does. So let me ask um, this, because I would be a little scared to be either oh, throwing milkweed or puffing when I've got does 30 yards and, and a small group at this point. You know, that's a couple sets of eyes. Like, um, it, what was the decision there? Were you like, okay, I kind of really want to know what's going on wind-wise in case he does show up? That Yeah, well – Honestly, at this point, I, I pretty much thought the jig was up. I didn't think he was going to show. Okay. Um, so, but I wanted to learn as much as I could while I had, you know, class in session, if you will. Sure. I'm in a big giant tree with a ton of cover, though. I, I love big gnarly trees. Um, and I'm positioned kind of on the backside of it. It's where for me to, to, to the pile is basically a little bit over my shoulder a little bit. Okay. So I can check the wind. I have it right here in like my hoodie pocket on my sick coat. And so I can kind of puff it up. Okay. Yeah. Minimal movement. Exactly. And I can clearly see anything because it's open to my, my East. I can see anything here that would pop me. And the way that does came in behind me, they were faced away from me as well while they were eating. So it, it was good. I wouldn't have done it if I thought I would have got popped. Um, Cause Lord knows I don't need an old mature doe knowing where my stands in there. <laughs> dealt with that. If you've hunted long enough, you've dealt with that problem. Nobody wants it. So um, I checked the wind. Sure enough, blown right towards them, but lifting a little bit. Um, or the way that I expect the buck to come from, rather. Then the big, big buck comes in. Long story short, I had maybe four or five minutes a legal light left, and he gives me a 20-yard chip shot. And the winds, he actually circled the corn coming in, and he was pretty much damn downwind at this point as he was making his way in. Mm -hmm. And I, I, plug, I plugged him and, and dropped him in his tracks right there. Nice. Um, so yeah, I'm elated at this point. You know, I didn't think it was going to happen. All the emotions go through. You call your buddies, your wife, yada, yada, and get that over with. Um, but I think what we need to discuss, not so much about the deer in particular, but one, go to your spots and set up, even if it's a day that you don't intend to hunt or in the off season, if you don't want to burn the area out and, and sit there under some of these weird wind conditions and, and test them and see what happens. Yeah, because that's a it's a key point right there. Well, you said every even, spot is different. Yeah, you said you were in there ye or yesterday or this weekend. Uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I went in uh, a couple of days after I shot him um, to to put some more feed out um, to keep the rest of the bucks in there happy for the year. And I just I went up in the stand and and just tested a few things. I can't remember what the dominant wind direction that was, but it reacted differently. Um, I had more of a north wind when I tried it. Yeah. And it was very consistent, very consistent like the south and would occasionally do a little swirl. So what I learned is, is that ridge that's over to my west runs north-south. And so a western east wind, I think, is more affected on a swirling component yeah. by the way that it's hitting that ridge. Um, it seems like it would hit that ridge, barrel down, and then would go the direction it's supposed to. And then it just created an eddy in that low area that I was in. Um, and that's what was killing me on the days that I thought I was hunting clean, you know, was that, that swirling wind. Um, but kind of going back a little bit and sorry, I'm getting off track. No, no, this is all just deer talk at this point. It, it is, but the lessons that I learned one, and this is for anybody, whether you hunt over bait or not. And I know that it's a hot topic for a lot of guys. Some guys think it's cheating, whatever your opinions, your own, that's fine. Um, but I think the same lessons can be learned for hunting any small focal point. Area for the yeah. focal, focal point. Thank you. That's perfect. Um, because 
the, the difficulty, and this is why I don't understand why there's such guys think corn pile hunting is cheating is the deer have all the odds when they're coming to such a small area, especially those mature deer that they're never going to access that at a disadvantage to them. They're just too smart to do it. So those deer, regardless of where they bed, they're going to come at that spot with the wind in their advantage, at least the majority of the time. And I've noticed that from my camera. If the wind's a major direction different, they'll access the, the corn or a seemingly from a different angle showing from, you know, what the camera show. Um, so it's, it's challenging to, to isolate yourself to one particular spot because no matter what the conditions are doing, if you think they're perfect for you, that buck's going to change his approach to make it better for him. And so you're always at a slight disadvantage, I think. Maybe not so much during the rut when they're not thinking like that, but early or late season, especially, especially late season when they've been shot at, they've been hunted, you know, sure. they've been burned over corn piles, particularly, or they've seen every neighbor's corn pile that's put out. Um, so anytime a, a buck is coming to such a small or, or mature deer in general, buck or doe, they're going to come in with some caution. You know, they're not dumb. A five, six, seven-year-old deer has seen a corn pile before, and he knows in the majority of the time that that's, sure. especially where I'm at, there's no corn anywhere near them. So they know this isn't natural. And you can see it when they're approaching, they're always skittish, even on a spot like mine that I hunt it, you know, lightly, the deer feels safe in there. How many times would you say you hunted this ambush point uh, in, in the 20, let's call it 2021 season? That particular stand, I think I hunted three, maybe four times. Okay. Tops, the entire season. Yeah. I hunted, uh, and I didn't hunt a lot this year, period. It just was a busy well, year for me. <laughs> the nature of your job, if you work in the, in the hunting space, it does seem like that that is your busy time. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, and also, too, my wife and I recently bought a, bought a house, and, you know, it, there's just, long story short, a multitude of things that had my attention um, elsewhere this year. But I did hunt the fringes on the public and a few other spots on that particular uh, farm trying to find this deer at a more advantageous area to kill him. Where I shot him is kind of my last ditch effort, mm -hmm. basically. Um, but I just, I couldn't catch up to him, like I said earlier. And so I resorted to, to going in there where I did. Um, but yeah, I think moving forward, what I learned from this is going to help a lot with scrape hunting in particular, because I think the same holds true. That buck, if he has it in his mind, he's, he needs to hit that scrape in a particular time. Yeah. He's not going to just access it the same trail or the same direction every time. He's going to come to it with the wind in, in his advantage. Um, and so I think, you know, what, how you and I, dis or what you and I discussed is, you know, just trying to get people to think outside the box a little bit or to spend, don't limit yourself, if I could say anything, to what you think the deer are doing or what, how you think they're going to react to conditions unless you know for a fact that's what's going on, um, especially with something so fickle as the wind. Yeah, wind, wind mapping has been on my areas to to most improve and, and kind of like a something that I have targeted heavily more. Um, I'm a big off-season scouter and in-season scouter, mm -hmm. and it's like I need to be adding that to a note I'm taking uh, uh, on my phone or, or even yep. if it's uh, not specific to the one spot, maybe it's a hillside, maybe it's a certain bench level. Hey, the thermals are really dominant here for X, Y, and Z, but having that, if I find that spot in February and then I end up hunting there in October, I need to, I need to have that information. That's something that uh, has been an area for me to really target over the last couple of seasons. And yeah, I don't know. Same. I think it, it, yeah, I think it's only going to make me, you know, a, a better hunter. 
Absolutely. And, and my biggest conflict, I guess, and I'm sure some of you guys listening would, can relate is I knew I needed to spend more time in there to learn more, but I was afraid to go in because anytime you're in there, you're educating the deer that you're pursuing as well. Sure. But every time you're in there learning something, those deer are learning something about you too, whether you know it or not. Um, so yeah, it's hats off to the Diaquistos. I mean, obviously I've looked up to those guys for years just because of, of who they are and what they've done in the industry. Um, but that podcast, man, is the single reason I killed that deer on the day I killed him. I mean, I'm not saying that I couldn't have went in there and killed him on another day sure. when the conditions were perfect, but had I not listened to that about the thermals and, and taken into consideration what they were saying, there's no way in hell I would have tried hunting him on that day, even sure. though I knew he was going to, or I had a very good idea that he was going to show up. Yeah. You, um, you probably would have played your odds saying, okay, I know he's in there. Today's not the best day given the direction. I'm a maybe, maybe look to, to kill him either uh, in the next couple of days when muzzleloader's in or bow season the rest of the month of January. Exactly. Exactly. And, and yeah. And I even sat there, like, even when I thought, okay, the thermals might help me. I want to go in there. I was in my head thinking, where can I set up on this deer that's going to be better for you? And I didn't have that option because the only way I had that option was to go further into the property closer to where I assumed he was betting. And that's another problem is this property is essentially all betting. Like I know where there's some predominant betting areas just from finding beds and running cameras in the, in the, in the past, but I don't know exactly where this buck beds in particular or yeah even what three points that he likes to bet on, on the ridge above me, or, or if he's bedding along the pond where those other deer came from, you know, it's, I, it's too thick in there to, to see him moving. And it's, it's again, too thick to, I don't have a thousand trail cameras and that's what I would need to sure. put on every small little rabbit trail that he could be using from bed to figure him out more. And so I, I wanted to kill him differently. I, again, like I have no problem sitting over corn, but I use it more as an observation tool than anything. You know, I like to know, what's living on the property I hunt, I can get an age estimate on, you know, the overall herd and then make my decision as to what deer I want to pursue. Cause ultimately I want to try to kill the oldest buck on the, on the property, whether he's the biggest or not. That's what tickles me pink is that. Oh, really? Big old, oh, bro. I love, I honestly, a big body and that big giant swollen neck and that stiff legged walk that only a, like <laughs> a, a, I think a five plus year old buck has. Okay. That that that's what gets me going man i mean obviously i'd love to shoot big bone too and, and a lot of times your older deer are carrying the bigger bone but whew, to hear those footsteps coming down the hill man that's what got my heart beating it was way more that's, than what i actually saw his rack I yeah knew that's hearing him walk that's a big deer that's, and that's cool what makes me excited that so is that's just, been my goal for the last five six years really is to just single out the oldest buck i can find on the one or two properties that i'm hunting and I'm not, I'm not done until he's dead or the season's over. Okay. So you, you, you had set out just a single deer. Um, that's why you passed the, the nice well, eight. Um, two deer on that property. And basically this was the year of the eight pointers for me. I had three deer that I knew for a fact were five minimum, um, or very confident that they were five just from mm -hmm. previous history. And just, you know, I have, a, I studied deer in school a lot. So I've, I've done a lot with, you know, IDing body characteristics and stuff with, with, sure. with, to look for. Um, so there was two of them on this farm. One of them was an actual six-year-old that I'm very, very confident in his age because I have sheds from years past and I watched him grow up. He's a unique buck that just, I know who he is. Um, and I would have killed him too, but he wasn't quite as big. 
So I really wanted the one I was after, but I would have shot either one. And then another big eight on a, another property down the road that disappeared on me and I gave up on him but in mid-October. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, so this, this deer, I'm fairly confident he's, he's five, maybe six. Um, I'll probably have his teeth sent in to, to be sure, but. Do you have yeah, a local man, place you do that with or no? Uh, no, I've looked into some of like the mail-in places, like the, I think deerage.com is one of them. Okay. And then there's an actual, uh, there's another laboratory, Watson something or another, I think it's called. Okay. Watson Laboratories, maybe that does it. You can send them in. Okay. Um, so I yeah, think I'm going to do that with one of mine this year. So, so. Cool. Well, I'll get out with you. Uh, okay. Yeah. To, um, maybe we can do it together to save us some money. Cause I think you oh. can, for the one you can send in up to five different deer for the same price. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Maybe, maybe we'll go that route. That'll, that'll be nice. Yeah. One to five, it's the same price. So it would be, it'd be cheaper if we got together on that. So I'd be done. But anyway, um, but yeah, man, that's, uh, I, I wanted to kill that that buck and that's cool dude I, I i i have i have tried to pursue a single deer and then i shoot one that tickles the fancy that day um a couple times uh, uh so hats off to you easy to do um it's, i don't regret any of it but but uh i think that would be a super uh rewarding uh experience and and i, I gotta believe too the fact that this was a late season deer so that so your season is is like drawn out the pursuit is is even longer um and i'm like yeah. I, I don't know about you but like after about november 14 i feel my chances have definitely uh, been cut significantly and then obviously you roll in then yeah. uh, to january uh very very slim pickings at that point it is. It, and it had me, I mean, I was in a low level depression because of it, honestly, because you, you put so much effort and, and time and money in, into chasing one deer. And then you feel like I have season left. But my odds are so slim. It can wear on you. And that's the downside to targeting a specific buck is it, sure. it can be just downright depressing, especially when they get poached out from under you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You did. Yeah. Oh, don't get me started there, but, um, but yeah, it's super rewarding. Um, and honestly, I would not be opposed to shooting a bonus buck or just in the moment, you know, you're jacked up, you have a sure. cool rut hunt, it's text birth. And, and I'm not saying that I wouldn't have had I had that encounter. I just, I didn't. Um, the only other shooter quality buck that I even got close to was the same eight pointer on two different instances. And uh, I just, I just, I saw his potential and I knew for a fact that he was, you know, still had a year or two before he'd reach his peak. And it was a hard pass, but um, I'm I'm glad I did. And go figure, he's the only buck on that property that I think is dead now. The one that I passed up, he's the only one I haven't seen since. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. The, sec the second the second time I passed him was actually on public. Him and four other small bucks were dogging the same doe. I watched him disappear deep into the public. And I never saw that buck again. So I'm pretty sure he got whacked. Oh man. Yeah, but oh well. Oh, but, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think back and just kind of go. Over so what, I you know I thought. Are you going to be doing a little bit of scouting and shed hunting then? Is that, that kind of next on your agenda or do you guys have a, are you going somewhere on a trip? Uh, what's next, next for Jeff? Um, well, honestly, I've just, I'm so keyed up to find sheds. It's insane. I think I'm more excited to shed hunt this season than I am to deer hunt. Okay. Um, just because I have a, I have a couple bucks and I think I may have sent you pictures of the one that's a four-year-old on that same property. That's just, I'm so excited for um and it was so hard not to hunt him because he's a he's a great deer he's probably score wise bigger than just about anything i've shot but again a deer that i watched grow up and i know for a fact that he's four this year um and just the potential he's got i just i had to stay away from him and i'm just glad that he was on the other end of the farm predominantly to where okay. i didn't have to run into him because he'd have been one of those ones where in person 
my whole be a, idea management plan would have went out the window. Especially if your bow was already in your hand. <laughs> oh, I think I'd have sent one if, if he'd have walked in front of me. So I'm really glad he didn't. Oh, so yeah, I'm cool. keyed up for sheds. Um, this is actually my absolute favorite time of year because uh, I love to scout and I love to scout when I can see. And honestly, I hate poison ivy. I'm definitely allergic. And this is the only time I feel like I can run through the woods without worrying that I'm going to have to go to the hospital in, in six hours. Um, so yeah, that's what's up for me. I'm, I'm, I'm keyed in to find, find these deer shed. I'm going to feed, um, until the spring just to keep them happy. And, and, you know, it's, if you're going to feed into this part of the year, it's it good to do for it the winter. Well, just for the health of the deer too, you know, you don't want to just feed them up until it gets the worst conditions out and then just pull it away from them. Sure. You know, it's, if you're going to do it, wean them off of it some, and I'm going to introduce some alfalfa and stuff in there too, um, which helps their, their gut, um, this time of year. Um, especially when they're eating a lot of the corn and they're not used to it, it can actually help kind of clean their, their rumen out. So it's, it's good to, to throw some alfalfa down, um, for you guys listening that, that are into. Okay. Question. So I had, uh, alfalfa bales here at the house. Now I don't know the quality of alfalfa I bought back in the day. Um, but I sure. thought, Oh, let me, let me throw a couple of alfalfa bales out back. I, you see that on the, the Canadian shows. A lot of times mm-hmm. I'm feeding alfalfa and, uh, the deer didn't, didn't seem to take care for it. Now I don't know if I bought bad alfalfa. It might just be the simple fact that they have something that they're eating that they like better. And um, there, there is a, um, there is an ag field close enough that, uh, yes. Um, and yeah, and that, visual, that visually that I see them there. Yeah, uh, it could be, uh, it could be that, um, sometimes it takes them to get used to it a little bit, but, uh, actually not to get too crazy off topic, but there's some other benefits from it. For one, it puts a nice base down to where if you're running corn or, or a mixed feed, um, which I do both, um, it gives you almost like a blanket to keep that corn away from the wet ground this time mm-hmm. of year when it's freezing a lot, you don't have to worry about it as much. Um, but it also, one thing that a buddy of mine, um, shout out to Jordan Lanky. Uh, this is a guy that I deer hunted with a lot in the past. Um, he has great luck with finding sheds. And what he does is he will put a base down for his feed to put on top of, and they'll eat that too. And then he'll actually just barely break up another bale and kind of leave it whole, just cut the twine off and rough it up a little bit. And he's actually got videos of bucks coming in on his trail camera and raking that alfalfa to break it up. And and when sheds are ready, they're they're popping off right there in in the alfalfa. Interesting. I don't know how many sheds kids picked up out of spots like that. So it's, yeah, I haven't had that luck, but I've only started to implement alfalfa for the last couple of seasons. But yeah, sure enough, you know, and, and it's not like an antler trap that can actually pop them off prematurely. I mean, yeah. if they're ready to go, that little bit of resistance from the from the alfalfa will, will knock them down. Sure, and it probably um, gets their head shaking, or, or if he's nuzzling trying yeah. to get it, you're putting extra movement around that that oh, like a tooth that you're wiggling it a little bit. It's going to go kind of thing. That's cool. exactly, and that's what they do. They stick their head and they wiggle it around and try to break that alfalfa up, and it'll pop right off. Okay. So, so yeah, that's uh. I mean, season never quits. You know how it is, man. It's it's nonstop, um, and it's my favorite time of year to scout. All the signs visible. The paths are beaten down to mud. If you have snow, you can find beds easier. Um, and now that with this newfound thermal thing, I'm kind of obsessed with it. Now, it's oh yeah, day. you're gonna be walking around and, the woods throwing milkweed in the air and puffing, and, and yeah, yeah, it's a new new, oh, new added thing. Uh, Jeff, real quick, um, 
Oh, uh, uh, what's, what's your boot of choice for sheds and scouting season? And uh, do you run any sort of mini pack or, or, or go into the woods with a, a fanny? What, what, what are your, what's your pack scouting pack look like and what's your, your boots of choice? Um, so I have two pair of boots that I like really well. I have Danner pronghorns. Um, Danner seems to make a yeah pretty nice boot. Um, I've had those for a few seasons now. They've done really well. They're lightweight and they've got a more athletic footbed. Um, which is great for these hills that I'm running up and down. Yeah. Um, and then another boot that is, it's more expensive. Um, it's, it's, it's a crispy Thor. Okay. And I, uh, yeah. I, I actually got those for a new, a trip to New Zealand. Um, we needed, you know, mountain boots, which the Thor is actually, it's a very lightweight, like entry level as yeah. far as support. It's not real, real stiff. Like it's not too stiff. Boots. I have thought about picking that up. That, those those specific models. I'm telling you, they have just enough. And if you anybody that's worn a mountain boot, you know what I'm talking about when it's that stiffness in the shank, and it actually does almost seem to help propel you up hills. It's really weird. It's kind of like you're wearing like springs on your boots. It's it's yeah. hard to describe. So you you get a really nice. Um, benefit to that a stiffer sole with those boots and i do notice that i can go up and down some of these yeah it really helps with side hilling uh a lot exactly. if, if your boots slightly yep. stiffer i love my keens but they um and i've blown through three pairs of those things and, and they're really comfortable mm -hmm. but i noticed if i do uh uh right around five plus miles i will go to a stiffer boot and, and i'm kind of looking to maybe uh i'll look at those stores for sure now what about your pack what's your pack of choice for for a day of shed hunting and scouting um, well, one thing I do want to say about the Krispies real quick, yeah. um, they are more expensive, but I tell you what, those things are bulletproof. Oh, like yeah. we, I, I put them through the ringer in New Zealand, banging them off rocks. I've worn them every turkey season and shed season here since, and they look brand new. So I'm not affiliated with them by any means. They just make a damn good boot. Um, as far as pack is concerned, um, I actually have two. I'm a big Sitka fan. I love their gear. So I have a lot of their stuff. Um, I have their original cargo box i think it's called backpack it's kind of it's got a, a small frame built into it that you kind of use to carry tree stands with you okay. um, so it's a bit heavier but it's really big and it's got a nice flip open um just a big main compartment that i can throw you know any sheds i find it'll fit a deadhead in it real easy it's got you know some pockets and stuff on the outside that i can strap some extra clothes to carry a water bottle some snacks depending on how long i'm gonna be out there it is a heavier pack though so if you don't need to carry a lot it's probably overkill um, and then they have another pack. It's actually in their waterfowl line. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a sling style pack and it's real oh, small. Nice. Yeah. It's, um, it's got like a water resistant cover. It's kind of like a, almost like a Gore-Texy feel to it. Um, so if you're, you know, busting brush when there's snow and, or just wet, you know, foliage and whatnot, it's going to keep your pack dry. Um, and I do like the sling style. I can flip it around to the front, get into it and out of it yeah. real quick, throw it back on my back. Um, it just doesn't hold much for sheds, but you can. They actually have because it's waterfowl pack they have like a tether system built into it for carrying ducks and geese out yeah it, it's you cinch the sheds up and walk out with them real easy that way oh, um, so those cool. are the two that i've used um yeah they both serve their purpose well cool jeff um, well yeah I, I uh i appreciate your time and coming on and telling this story and then uh bouncing in and out of the, some of the oh the hill country talk that we got into and then yeah i had to throw some scouting talk in here it's, it's about yeah. to be that time of year so so i thought that was a good way to end it I got the buck here. If you want to oh see yeah, let's see him. I just picked his rack up from the taxidermist. Oh man, so, he's got a pretty yeah. cool kicker on his uh, right G two, and uh, 
It's, it's a funny story real quick. I'll end this. So this deer uh, showed up uh, last year on this property. That's why I'm not 100% um, how old he is, but I'm, I'm guessing he's at least five. Bladed G2 um, but, on left side. Yeah, man. I mean, just. just yeah, I, I have crushes on, on bladed G2s. Oh, me too. Yeah. And I actually, another buck I killed off that property a few years ago. It's almost identical. So you, this is a genetic thing for in there. Um, hmm. But uh, so yeah, the year before this deer actually had broke this G2 off in velvet. And so it was just kind of a gnarled little cut right here. just kind of weird looking. And so I named him the G2 buck. I didn't have any other cool name for him. I like and that. my good buddy, my good buddy, Paul from California comes there almost every year to hunt with me. And that was the main deer that I wanted him to kill. Cause I could tell you he was at least a four-year-old. A yeah. nice buck and um and we had one close encounter with him almost killed him um about 50 yards 60 yards or so from the setup i eventually did kill him on um but uh, we just couldn't seal the deal in time and uh he came back this year and sorry paul but i'm really glad you didn't kill this deer because yeah. I mean, he He's beautiful. he added probably 10 inches in mass and then of course uh six seven eight inches with that g2 being whole this year so nice yeah he's a big beautiful eight uh i love him he's learned a lot from shooting that deer yeah and uh i know we kind of yeah rambled a little bit but i think that guys listening if anything just get out there and 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 throw everything you think you know about your property out the window and 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 learn and just just play out in the field man take your windicator and just walk everywhere and and go in there on different wind directions and see what the wind's doing it's and pay attention to your thermals There's yeah. a couple of takeaways yeah man so yeah well cool I jeff i, I really that, appreciate uh, it man like uh this was a good conversation and and pretty cool to have a local guy on and uh, a guy that <laughs> i've passed and talked to for the last 10 years to sit down and have a yeah, deer talk with man so it's very fun. cool jeff well i will i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this guy up right on brother well hey thanks for having me